Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. Okay, so we have characters. So we have Esther here. Hold your sign up. We have Xerxes. There he is. We have Vashti. There she is. We have Mordecai. There he is. And we have Haman. There he is. There. Okay, good. Yay. All right. So you guys have your part down. We have a part. We are going to get cues from Pat. Pat, can you give us a cue? And we're going to, and we're going to, and we're going to, yay. And we're going to, all right. Are you ready? Okay. In a town called Susa, there lived a king named Xerxes. Now, Xerxes was a powerful king, and his empire stretched all the way from Africa to India, 127 provinces in all. And Xerxes was a rich king. One time, he threw a party to show off to all of his rich and powerful friends, and it lasted almost six months. As the party was coming to an end, he decided he wanted to show off his beautiful queen, Vashti. (laughs) He sent his servants to her with an invitation to come to the party. They uh, They told her to make sure she was wearing her royal crown, and it was kind of suggested that her royal crown was the only thing she wore. Well, Vashti, told the king, no way, I'm not coming down to see you today. And Xerxes was humiliated in front of, uh, in front of these friends. And Xerxes was hopping mad. This was a political and diplomatic disaster. After all, if the other wives heard about what Vashti did, they might say no to their husbands too, and that would never do. Xerxes took away Vashti's Vashti's crown and said, away with you. You're not my queen anymore. And because Xerxes didn't have much imagination of his own, he asked his sages what more he should do. We know, they said, send a message out to all the 127 provinces from this day forward. Every man is the master of his own house. Whatever he says goes. And so it was done. Xerxes sent out to find himself a new queen. On the advice of his courtiers, he decided to hold a Miss Persian Empire contest. He sent out invitations to each of his 127 provinces, from Africa to India, that they should send their most beautiful young women to his harem. 
and so it was done. The king's eunuchs pampered the women with baths and perfumes and all sorts of beauty treatments for a whole year, the real royal treatment. Now in the city of Susa, the same city where the king Xerxes lived, there was a young Jewish woman named Esther. Her, yay! Her parents had died, and her cousin Mordecai, Mordecai had raised her. Mordecai took Esther to the palace to join the pageant, and he told her that she should not tell anyone she was Jewish. Esther agreed. After pampering and beauty treatments were all done, one day she was brought into King Xerxes, and the king was twitterpated. Xerxes loved her more than any of the other women, so he made Esther his queen. One day after Esther had been made queen, her cousin Mordecai, oh, sorry. Her cousin Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Mordecai <laughs> heard two men plotting to kill the king. Well, Mordecai told this to Esther, and Esther told this to King Xerxes. And the two men were caught and put to death. All this was written down in the king's notebook, and the notebook was tucked, tucked away on a shelf somewhere. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted a man named Haman to be second in command in the empire to keep things running smoothly and so that King Xerxes could enjoy his parties and not have to worry about running a kingdom. Well, Haman was an arrogant man. He was proud and he loved his power. He loved that whenever he passed by, all the people bowed down to him. They even knelt before him. Oh, that made him feel good. All the people bowed down before him, all except Mordecai. That is, and boy, did that irritate Haman. How dare he? Who did he think he was? Haman found out that Mordecai was Jewish. So he decided that instead of just punishing Mordecai, he would eliminate all the Jewish people in all the 127 provinces of the empire from Africa to India, a genocide. Just like Pharaoh tried to do many years ago, just like Hitler tried to do a handful of millennia later. So Haman threw some dice called Purim to decide which day the killing should be done. Then he called King Xerxes away from his reverie and told him there were some odd people scattered throughout the kingdom 
They had strange customs, and they did not obey the king's laws. Haman slightly suggested to the king that this should that they should be destroyed. Whatever, said King Xerxes. Here's my signet ring. Do whatever you want. Now let me get back to the party. <laughs> so Haman wrote a decree on the 13th day of the 12th month. All Jewish people in all 127 provinces would be massacred, killed, and eliminated. When the news reached the provinces, the people of God were very sad. There was fasting and weeping and wailing. On the streets of the city of Susa, Mordecai heard the news and he sent word to Esther. Back and forth they communicated through messengers. Mordecai pleaded with Esther to talk to the king to see what could be done to save the Jewish people. King Xerxes didn't know that Esther was Jewish. By giving power to Haman, he had signed Queen Esther's death warrant. Esther reminded Mordecai that she could only go to the king if he called for her, because if anyone approached the king without being called, the sentence was death. Mordecai continued his plea. Esther, you're the only one who has access to the king, he said. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jewish person who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else, but you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. For just such a time as this. Esther fasted and prayed, as did all the Jewish people. And she made up her mind. It may cost me my life, she thought, but I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. After, after three days, Esther approached the king's court. King Xerxes was happy to see her and invited her in asking her what she wanted. He even promised that he would give her anything she asked for, up to half his kingdom. Please, my king, she said, I would like to come to a banquet. I would like you to come to a banquet. I will prepare for you tonight. And bring Haman, Haman, with you. <laughs> Queen Esther, Wined and dined the foolish King Xerxes and the wicked Haman. And Xerxes asked, Now, my dear, what do you want? Please come back tomorrow night and bring Haman, and I will tell you then, she said. 
Well, Hammond went home feeling pretty full of himself, thinking I was the only one Esther invited to the king's banquet. What do you think about that? See, I really am someone special. Hammond was feeling especially evil that night, so he decided that the rest of the Jewish people could wait for their death on the 13th day of the 12th month, but he would take care of Mordecai the very next day. So he had a gallows built 75 feet high. And Haman went to bed feeling very pleased with himself. That night, King Xerxes had a royal case of insomnia. He called his servants to read his royal notebook because that was sure to put anyone to sleep. Mm -hmm. The servants pulled the dusty old notebook off of a shelf and they read to him the story of Mordecai who saved the king's life. Oh yeah, said King Xerxes. Whatever happened to that guy? Did we reward him properly? And his servants said that no, even though Mordecai had saved the king's life, no reward had ever been given to him. The king fell asleep, thinking he should do something nice for Mordecai. Yay. The next morning, King Xerxes asked Haman, what should be done for a man the king especially wants to honor? Well, Haman was about bursting his buttons with pride and excitement. He thought to himself, the king wants to honor me. Who else could it be? Wow. Let me think up something especially good. So Haman said to the king, well... For this man you want to honor, might I suggest that you bring out one of your royal robes, one that you have worn yourself, and have one of your most noble princes put that robe on the man. Then let the man get up on a horse that the king himself has ridden, and let the most noble prince lead this man all around town, yelling, this is what is done for the man the king especially wants to honor, the king told Haman. Let it be done, just as you have said. Go do this for Mordecai. <laughs> Haman was shocked and humiliated. <laughs> but he obeyed the king's command. The man he had planned to murder was being honored by the king. Haman was so embarrassed, so humiliated, leading Mordecai around town on the king's horse, shouting, this is what is done for the man the king especially wants to honor. But at least Haman still had the second banquet with King Xerxes and Queen Esther to look forward to. On this second night, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther again to share her request. I'll give you anything you want, he said, up to half my kingdom. Mm 
Dear King Queen Esther said, If I have found favor in your eyes, please give me my life and give my people their lives. (laughs) For we have all been condemned to death. King Xerxes was furious. Who did this, he demanded. That enemy is over there, she said. Hammon. King Xerxes looked over at the high, high gallows that Hammon had built, the one he had planned to use for Mordecai. Hang Hammon on it, he said, and so it was done. King Xerxes gave all of Hammon's property to Queen Esther. And he gave his signet ring and authority to Esther's cousin Mordecai. And God's people were saved. Yay. So we are in our worship series called Heroes of the Faith. And today our hero was Esther. Somebody... God put in place for just such a time as this. Today's our last Sunday in this worship. Heroes inspire us. They grab our attention. They make us brave and bold because they are brave and bold. They give themselves for others and they change the world. And heroes of the faith are faithful. They worship God. They put their confidence in God. And they don't have superpowers because, you know, that's not real. But they cooperate with God, who is the only superpower in this world. They say that in crises, we don't rise to the occasion. We default to our training. Heroes get thrown into situations, and they default to their training. When we study heroes, we are being trained in their ways. It is part of our training, part of the way that God is getting ready for placing us in the right place for just such a time as this. And that that preparing, that being trained, that's why paramedics, and firefighters and police train a lot. They they go through, they rehearse what they will do, they learn the best response, they even work on that muscle memory so that they are ready when the crisis comes. We train spiritually. We train in our loyalty to God, in our placing our confidence in God, and in helping others. So when crisis comes, when the event comes, we are ready. A couple of weeks ago, I took a cooking class because I've been told I need to do things, you know, that are fun, and that sounded fun. And we are going to learn how to make mac- um, macrons, those French, like, marshmallowy things that look like cookies. That's something I feel like I need to know, is how to make marshmallowy cookies. So I go to this cooking class, and 
we introduce ourselves, and then um, one, of the, one of the students goes, and she picks up a, a mixer, and it's the kind where the head comes up, and she gets her hand caught in there. And it takes a while to get the hand out, and she was pretty badly injured. And I did not know what to do, so I defaulted to my training as a chaplain, as a pastor. I stayed with her, and when she leaned into me, I put my arm around her, and I kind of put my body so if she fell or passed out, I could catch some of it. I contained my own anxiety. I looked calm on the outside, but let me tell you, I discovered I was getting myself zone minutes afterwards. <laughs> but I, I contained my own anxiety, and I knew that whenever something like this happens, the whole group is anxious. So I gave people things to do. You call 911. You go outside and wait for the ambulance. Would you grab a stool for her to sit on? I defaulted to my training as a chaplain, and as a Christian. Two Fridays ago, when that bus turned over, that YMCA bus turned over on Highway 55, there were some people there on the road with them that had some training, some spiritual training. The paramedics and the firefighters and the police, they had training, and when they arrived, that was wonderful. But there were other people right there were people that were just driving down Highway 55 that day, like I have done hundreds of times. And right in front of them, they watched a bus, a school bus, slam on its brakes and skid and turn over. And their training, their spiritual training, threw them into action. This week, the leadership of the Treasure Valley YMCA issued an open letter. And they named some of the things that these, that these folks did. They said, to the community members who reacted quickly at the scene of the accident, you are remembered by each child. And your comforting kindness meant the world to them. We are grateful that when we could not yet be there, you were there. To the individual who made sandwiches for 30 young campers in the bus that was stopped in the traffic behind, behind the accident, thank you. Your kindness made an incredible impact on the children and their families. To every community member at the accident site, thank you for responding, for providing first aid kits, for lending your hands, and especially for your incredible comfort. There were some people at that accident site who had been trained. Esther must have had very good training. We know that she grew up in a Jewish community, and so she must have heard the scriptures. She must have heard the story about what God did for God's people. She must have been trained in that way of life. And she must have been trained by her brave, honest uncle Mordecai. Now in the story that the kids 
and Pat and Patrick and Cassidy shared with us um, an abbreviated form, we don't really get Esther's perspective. And I don't know if we can assume that Esther wanted to be queen, that that was for her. I mean, maybe she wanted to be a teacher, or maybe she wanted to be a baker and Because as queen, while life was luxurious, many options were lost. In many ways, she lived in a gilded cage. She had luxury. She had plenty to eat. She had lots of entertainment. But she was caged in. In some ways, I wonder if her life was like our lives. We live lives of luxury by global standards. We have so much to eat that obesity is our problem, starvation. We are well entertained. And many people feel caged in by the pressures of modern life. But Esther must have had some good training because God put her in the right place at the right time for such a time as this. She used her privilege to speak up for others. She risked her life to protect her people from genocide, and she relied on a power greater than her own. We study these heroes of the faith as part of our spiritual training because God is going to put us in the right place for such a time as this. And what will we do? we will default to our training. We will default to our training of loyalty to God, of confidence in God's power, and of helping others. And sometimes it will be dramatic, like an accident on the highway. And sometimes it will be small and meaningful. This week, I saw two Christians. I observed two Christians. One was at a group lunch. And at the end, when we each got our check and everyone is filling out their charge slip, I noticed that the person next to me left zero tip. And I didn't see any cash put on the table. They didn't order the cheapest thing on the menu. And I know that servers live on tips, that the wages waiters get is very small, and that they make their living with tips. A few hours later, I saw a Christian, a neighbor, who went and picked up kids and took them home after a bus snafu on the first day of school. She took them home with parental permission. She connected with their parents. I saw two Christians who showed their training. We gather each Sunday to be trained to be formed as disciples so that we are ready. So that when God puts us in the right place, we are ready for just such a time as this. We are trained on Sunday morning. We are trained as we read scripture. We are trained as we share in small group. We are trained as we go to Bible study. And we are trained as we serve one another. And God will put us in the right place in the right place to bring about God's justice. And God will put us 
in the right place to comfort the hurting. And God will put us in the right place to build the kingdom of heaven. And so we gather to be trained so that we are ready, like Esther, for just such a time as this. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crossway. CUNY United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.